This is The Guardian. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates, coming to you from the lands of the Gadigal people. And this is The Full Story. In the past few months, opposition leader Peter Dutton has dragged nuclear power back into the energy conversation. He argues that Labor is planning to phase out coal and gas too early before we have a stable supply of renewable energy in place. It's why the Coalition is seeking an intelligent conversation on the role that these new age nuclear technologies might or might not be able to play in the energy mix. When environment and climate editor Adam Morton heard this, he thought... Here we go again. Where was this argument when you were in government for nine years? Today, Peter Dutton's nuclear plans. It's Wednesday, the 2nd of November. The sound is working. Yes, good. Okay, Adam, let's give it a whirl. Before we dive into the coalition's plans, I'm wondering if you can tell me a bit about nuclear power and whether it is a a kind of clean form of energy, as Peter Dutton and others suggest. Depending on how you define clean, uh, yes, it can be described that way. What we think of when we think of nuclear energy is what's really known as nuclear fission most of the time, which uh, is a reaction that involves splitting the nucleus of an atom. Uranium's the fuel most widely used for it. And Australia has a huge amount of uranium, about a third of the global stock. Mm. It is a zero emissions form of energy production. You know, as with anything, there are some emissions associated with the construction of plants and the mining of the uranium. But globally, it is seen as part of the answer to achieving deep cuts in emissions as we need to, particularly in places that have less geographic space and fewer renewable energy resources than Australia. It's not a form of renewable energy, though. Uranium is a finite resource, so it differs from wind and solar and hydro and other renewable forms. Have we ever had nuclear power in Australia? No, we haven't. Nuclear power stations have been banned under federal environment law since 1999, and there are also bans under state and territory laws. The only nuclear reactor in the country is at Lucas Heights, south of Sydney. It's for scientific and medical research, but no energy generation. What is Dutton's vision for nuclear power in Australia? What has he been spruiking? Well, giving his budget reply address last week, he kind of summarised what he's been saying for months now. He said that around the world, countries are investing in what he called zero emissions nuclear small modular reactors. They are doing this to shore up energy security and to meet their zero emissions targets. And the coalition is now advocating for small modular reactors to be built in Australia as well. The small modular reactors that have zero emissions uh, that can help us credibly achieve our emissions targets and increase the number of electric vehicles, for example, uh, then why wouldn't you consider it? Because most other countries don't have the gas reserves that we do. There are a couple of things to say about this. The first is to note that we're no longer talking about building large-scale nuclear plants in Australia. There was some debate about that over a long period of time, that's been dumped, basically. Mm. Globally, large-scale nuclear capacity has gone backwards this century, if you don't count China, which is building heaps of everything, basically. Mm. So the focus is now on what are known as small modular reactors or SMRs. 
And the main thing to know about them is in the name. They are small and modular. So you can build them at a scale of between 60 and a few hundred megawatts, which is just a fraction of the size of the traditional nuclear plants or the big coal-fired plants that we're used to in Australia. In theory, it gives them much greater flexibility in terms of where they can be built and the role they can play in meeting energy demand in different places. So supporters say they would employ similar technology that's used in nuclear-powered submarines and would be much easier to keep safe than the big old plants. Right. So what does the coalition see as the path to introducing these small modular reactors in Australia? So in the early days of the new parliament, Peter Dutton announced a review of coalition energy policy and the review will have a big focus on looking at nuclear energy, develop what he'd called a proper base of information. And he asked Ted O'Brien, who's the Shadow Minister for Climate Change and Energy and has been a nuclear advocate in the past, to head up this review. So Dutton says that countries around the world are investing in these SMRs. I mean, how much do we rely on SMRs globally at the moment, Adam? Oh, basically not at all. The main point to make here is they don't exist at this point in any meaningful way. The industry is basically at the point of trying to get prototypes up and running. Proposals have so far have seen delays and cost blowouts and the opposition leaders claim that several countries are investing in them is, I think, a significant overstatement. There is some work going on, but we're a long way off knowing yet whether they're going to do anything like what has been promised. Mm. A few people have looked at where the industry is at globally. Uh, there are only a couple of SMRs known to be operating. Russia has an icebreaker that's effectively a little floating nuclear plant with two small SMRs on board. And construction costs for that balloon dramatically, something like sixfold. In China, work started in 2012 on a demonstration plant and it took nearly a decade to complete and cost, some estimates have suggested, about $9 billion. Some high-profile companies in Western democracies are looking at building plants. There's one model being proposed in Canada, which has got some government funding behind it. If all goes well, they might have one plant in operation by 2030 or so. Bill Gates is involved in a project in Wyoming in the US. A lot of these plans are at a very early stage. They don't have finance completed. They don't have licensing to go ahead yet. And backers generally agree that no reactors are expected before the end of the decade. Right. So SMRs are in very early stages overseas and non-existent in Australia. You mentioned that they're a bans on nuclear generation in Australia. Why hasn't it taken off here? Why are those bans in place? I guess there are two obvious reasons. One is there have been major safety concerns around large-scale nuclear plants in the past. We've seen well-publicised disasters, Chernobyl and Fukushima probably being the best known. In Australia, they just kind of stymied the case that was already close to non-existent because we've always had access to cheaper forms of energy in a way some countries haven't. Mm. For a long time, we have relied on cheap, dirty coal for our electricity. And it was cheap because we weren't factoring in the price of very large greenhouse gas emissions. Mm. And more recently, we've been tapping into our vast resource of cheap solar and wind energy. Have people taken a closer look at the case for that, though? How much nuclear would cost versus other types of energy in Australia? They have. There's a regular report put out by the CSIRO 
uh, called GenCost, which looks at the cost of different types of electricity generation. Uh, its most recent report was in July. It suggested the viability of SMRs had not changed and there was no prospects of any domestic projects this decade, given what it described as the technology's commercial immaturity and high cost. And it said that wind and solar remain the cheapest sources of electricity generation in Australia, even when you factor in the integration costs that are built in due to their variable output, such as the storage you need to back them up and the the transmission lines that you need to connect them. Mm. There's been a long history of looking at nuclear energy in Australia and it either being repudiated or reports declining to recommend it. Mm. And there was some significant debate in Parliament in the last term under the Morrison government. There was an inquiry uh, commissioned by the then Energy Minister Angus Taylor. It was led by Ted O'Brien, who's now the new Angus Taylor in that he's the energy person in the coalition. The report was titled, Not Without Your Approval, which probably gives some indication about where they thought the public's thinking was on nuclear at the time. And O'Brien and the rest of the committee recommended that the government consider partially lifting the ban and expressed hope that SMRs could have a future. But they also argued that development of a potential nuclear industry would take time and would be conditional on a government assessment of technology and the informed consent of local communities. So it was not a let's go, this industry has a great future kind of recommendation. It was let's look at it and talk to people about it, basically. It was qualified support and pushed it down the road again. And I don't think there was much enthusiasm for Scott Morrison, for example, to try and open this up because it's a politically divisive issue. It did receive some support from some coalition MPs, but Morrison's position was the government's position would not change unless there was bipartisan support. And Labor has remained opposed to nuclear energy, says it's not needed, and has ruled it out on both economic and safety grounds. Considering all of this, why is Dutton reviving this idea? Well, I'm not inside his head, but the case he made in his budget reply speech last week was that at the moment, the government is recklessly expanding renewable energy when we don't have the technology to ensure that we get energy from it all the time. The firming up means using coal, gas, hydro, hydrogen, nuclear or batteries as an energy source or to store power when renewables aren't feeding the system. But Labor is going to phase out coal and gas before the new technology has been developed and rolled out. And he basically accused the government of trying to phase out coal and gas before we are ready. The technology just doesn't yet exist at the scale that is needed to store renewable energy for electricity to be reliable at night or during peak periods. That is just the scientific reality. And then talked about the huge spike in energy prices we've seen this year. But when the Prime Minister says to you that the sun and wind are free energy sources, your power bill tells a very different story. It's much more complicated than what the Prime Minister wants you to believe. Which obviously is due to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, pushing fossil fuel prices through the roof globally, and that's setting the price here. And then next to that, set up nuclear energy as a potential solution, presumably both to our energy demand needs and cost. Is that a legitimate argument that nuclear is a, you know, stopgap solution when we make this enormous transition from fossil fuels to renewables? 
the remarkable thing about it is that it really ignores significant evidence that the technology we have in Australia at the moment, if properly expanded, and that won't be easy, but if properly expanded, it could do the job. And Peter Dutton and the Coalition have not explained why they reject that evidence. i just give one example. It's some work done by David Osmond, who's a Canberra-based engineer with the energy developer Windlab. Mm. He has, for more than a year, been posting weekly results on social media from a live simulation he's been doing, tracking what would happen in Australia's main electricity grid, which covers the eastern states, if it relied primarily on renewable energy. And the results are really encouraging. They suggest that close to 100% of uh, demand for what we needed over the last year, 98.9%, could be delivered by solar and wind, backed by existing hydropower already in the system, and five hours of battery storage. Now, nearly 90% of that demand, he found, could be met directly by renewable energy. And about 10% had to pass through storage. There were a bunch of assumptions that underpin that. He, he says it's a simplified model. It would require a major expansion of transmission, as proposed by Labor under its rewiring the nation policy, to connect all the new renewable energy and get it around the grid. Mm. And it would mean a small amount of fossil fuel generation remaining in the grid, at least in the short term, because that 1.1% is most likely, he thinks, would come from burning gas in existing gas-fired power plants that can be ramped up when we need them. In the longer term, he says the backup wouldn't have to come from gas. It could potentially come from cleaner sources, probably pumped hydro, maybe hydrogen. So this modelling kind of shows that instead of leaning into nuclear and building a whole bunch of infrastructure, costly infrastructure around it, if we lent harder into renewables, if we got those transmission links up, it could work. Yeah, what it really does is give a, I think, hopefully reasonably tangible illustration of what we've seen other very serious wonkish bits of work show over a period of time. And it's really important to stress we've seen work by the Australian Energy Market Operator, which runs the system and puts out what's called an integrated system plan, which is basically a roadmap for the future of the grid out to 2040. What can it look like? And its most recent report suggested that existing technology can do the job, can get us to more than 80% renewable energy in the grid by 2030, has us at high 90s by 2040 and through to 2050. Essentially, the bottom line here is that there is evidence and there's a whole range of reports that have found this, some of them involving hundreds of people with expertise in the area. They've found that a renewable energy-dominated system is possible and is comfortably the cheapest form of generation if it's done in the right way. And this is the advice that the coalition was receiving for the nine years it was in government. Next. Is the coalition playing politics with nuclear energy? Hey, Laura Murphy Oates here. If you're enjoying Full Story, I think you'll really like another podcast we make here at Guardian Australia called Book It In. On Book It In, some of Australia's favourite authors open up about the ideas behind their books in personal and thought-provoking conversations that you won't hear anywhere else. 
This week, you'll hear longtime Guardian columnist Bridget Delaney discuss the lessons she's learned from binging the works of the ancient Stoics. It's like they predicted how we'd be on the internet. It's like they predicted FOMO. It felt like they were around kind of last year, which makes me think there is an eternal part of all of us, a part of being human that never changes. We just wear different clothes. Subscribe to Book It In Now on your favourite podcast player and listen to Bridget Delaney's episode on Thursday. As you've said, many people are wondering, where was this passion for nuclear when the coalition was in government for nine years? Is it fair to say that the coalition are kind of bringing this up as a distraction? You know, if we're debating Labor's lack of action on nuclear, we aren't really paying attention to the coalition's lack of action on climate change. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I don't know to what extent the coalition's position is just solely politically motivated Mm. and to what extent key figures in it just don't accept the advice they received in government that renewables can do the job. Australia has a long history of bad faith actors who have pushed nuclear energy as a delaying tactic to prevent action on climate change and moving to renewable energy. There are also, and it's important to say this, good faith actors who support the development of nuclear and believe that it can be safe and is necessary as part of the future. And they find the politicisation of the debate deeply frustrating, I think it's fair to say. Mm. But it's important to look at the moment in which this conversation is taking place. It's coming off the back of a historic federal election in which climate change was a major issue and obviously one of the big reasons that the coalition lost power after nine years and lost a big swag of seats to independents and greens in the inner city. And the coalition has not really responded to that by promising any more on climate change. Mm. They opposed Labor's climate change bill and its new emissions reduction target, even though it's fairly modest, and have spent all their time emphasising the cost of acting rather than looking at the evidence of what is needed and the economic benefits of acting now. And into that conversation, the one thing that they've injected that could be seen as making a case for greater action on climate change is to argue for nuclear energy sometime after next decade. Right, Labor's driving up your bills, Labor's doing this wrong, our solution is nuclear past 2030. Right. So it's hard to interpret it as anything except an argument for delay and doing less now. Has the coalition's stance on climate change and the action that's needed improved since the election? You can make a pretty good case that they've actually gone backwards on climate change, even though Scott Morrison wasn't doing anything and was a roadblock. The rhetoric is now, I think, more negative when it was at that time more focused on the need to act. They saw that that was a political imperative. That seems to have changed. And the one exception is now this idea that we need to go for nuclear, which seems to be the platform that the coalition is building for itself to suggest that it's not totally opposed to acting on climate change when it is in every other way just standing in the way. Do we have time for such debates, considering the urgency of action that's needed? If this was the sole focus that we were going over, as the coalition would like, no. You know, that no, we don't. If it's happening on the sidelines, maybe it doesn't do any damage. It's worth pointing out here too, I think, that we're talking about a technology that if, and it's a huge if, was to become viable internationally, let alone in Australia, we're talking next decade, well, based on the current target of the federal government, 
we should be at 80% renewable energy on the East Coast by then. Mm. Victoria recently announced it's going to be 95% by 2035. Queensland, 80% by that date. This quickly becomes a null and void argument if those targets are being achieved. And we are down that path. Over the last week, more than 40% of energy in the national electricity market has been renewables. So we're on a trajectory where this debate will quickly become redundant. That was Adam Morton, Climate and Environment Editor at Guardian Australia. You can read more from Adam at theguardian.com and we've linked to his latest analysis on the nuclear energy debate on the Full Story page as well. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Jordan Beasley, Karishma Luthria and Miles Herbert. Sound design and mixing by Joe Koning. The executive producers of Full Story are Miles Matnioni, Gabrielle Jackson, Molly Glassie and me, Laura Murphy-Oates. Okay, catch you next time.